Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast. I'm Ann Garten, your host, and I'm really excited to have a dear friend join me today, uh, Jessica Trowbridge. And Jessica is the chapter coordinator for Safe Families of the Quad Cities chapter, because there's a national Safe Families. And we're going to share information about that from both sides. And what I really love about Safe Families Um, that really aligns with this year's theme at St. Ambrose is radical hospitality. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. First, I would love, Jess, if you would introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, Again, my name is Jessica, and I have been with Safe Families. um, Well, I started out as a volunteer back in 2009, and then um, I've been on staff for a total now of six years. Um, I am engaged and um, I have 25, soon to be 25 nieces and nephews, um, grew up in Geneseo and currently live in Davenport. So very busy with family life. Excellent. I love that. And that really goes to what you do with Safe Families as well as support the families that need it in our community. So I wonder if you would start um, and share with us a little bit of the history of how Safe Families came about. So Safe Families is actually celebrating their 20th year this year, founded in Chicago in 2003. And we now have over 100 chapters throughout the U.S. We're also in the United Kingdom, Canada, Hong Kong, and there's been some talks about Philippines as well. So we're international as well as national. The Quad Cities chapter specifically started in Davenport in 2005. And uh, since then, we have a coverage of eight counties, four on the Illinois side and four on the Iowa side. Uh, Predominantly, we serve Rock Island County and Scott County, uh, but our outlying counties, we as well can step into and serve families in need. So let's get into that piece. What does that mean? Families in need, right? So core values of safe families include compassion, uh, field of mercy, right? Mm -hmm. Disruptive generosity, radical hospitality. And let's paint a picture of what does that mean for a family? Yeah, so Safe Families was founded for the purpose of being alternative to foster care. So we want to prevent kiddos and we want to help families before that actually needs to happen. So we partner with the local church, and that's how we recruit our volunteers. And out of that comes compassion for these volunteers to serve these families in crisis. So a family will reach out to us that may be experiencing such as homelessness, um, mental health needs, hospitalizations, domestic violence, and they may not have any other support for their children. Um, Their own family may not be a healthy uh, place for them. Their friends may not be stable. So our volunteers can step into that and host uh, children while that parent is addressing that crisis. Um, There are other ways that people can serve too, but hosting children is the main way that we step into to be able to show compassion not only to that parent, but also to the child until that child can be reunited with that family. I love that because it's two-sided. And for read or listeners, I almost called you all readers. You know, your listeners, my apologies. For listeners, um, the Garten family have been a safe family uh, uh, for a few families. And so I'll be able to help tell the story, right? And, and 
it is very much about that giving and supporting of that child. And for some of us also building relationships with the families longer term so that we can support them and their needs as they grow, right, in, uh, as their family. Uh, and, some, and some folks are able to do that uh, and and just focus on the on the kiddo for short term and let's talk about that so short term and pretty much usually it is short term right but let's talk about what that does that look like yeah so for example if we have a situation if we get a call from Genesis East for example on a weekend and maybe mom has been transported to the hospital via ambulance and she didn't have anyone to uh, care for her children. Uh, they can call us and say, hey, can you, are you able to host this child while we get mom admitted? She may just need to be admitted for 24 to 48 hours. Uh, we just need to monitor her for whatever the case may be. So that's an example of a short-term situation where we know that kiddo is safe. Um, the state doesn't need to necessarily be involved in that because mom just needs that extra support. Um, our longer hostings are considered more of a homelessness um, the homelessness situation is pretty bad and it's just getting worse, um, even in our quad state area. So, um, that time can take a little bit longer while parents navigate, you know, how long is it going to take them, um, to find housing? And, you know, you made a good point just about the purpose of what we're doing too, is building relationships. Um, we really try to stay away from this transactional model, uh, with our families. We really want to, be here for the parent to be able to extend an opportunity to build relationship with them. What the hope is after that hosting is done, whether short or long, hopefully they've been able now to identify uh, other long-term people that are stable in their life. So when they face another crisis, which we know they will, because we all do, uh, they would have that, hopefully that network now wrapped around them to provide that relationship piece. And that's the hope. And build what they may find to be their family. Correct. Right? Yeah. I think that's so sure. important because when we define family, that looks very different for each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your 25 nephews and nieces, right? <laughs> yeah. And all of the activity that goes yeah. around, all, you know, your big family. Not everybody has that, right? Um, and so I think that's really important is building that around you for that support. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder if you would share a little bit as well um, the volunteer side of, because there's different ways. You mentioned earlier there's different ways to volunteer. And I think that's important as well because um, I may not be able to take a kiddo this week, right, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So what do those opportunities look like? So the main roles that we have are uh, host family, family friend, family coach, and resource friend. Uh, the family friend actually plays a dual role. That family friend can be like a mentor to that parent that we're supporting, but they can also come alongside the host family. So providing maybe respite or just encouragement to that host family that's hosting a child. Uh, the family coach is what we call more of our casework part of the volunteer role. So if casework is something that you enjoy, you're going to be more directly involved with that parent and helping them uh, resource and get to their goal, but also uh, coming alongside the host family. So we have to do uh, check-ins with the family, the host family, within the first 24 to 48 hours, making sure that 
Little Johnny, for example, is doing well, adjusting well, make sure sleeping arrangements and everything are okay. Um, we're also just checking in with um, any other partnering organizations that might be helping the parent, making sure that we're all collaborating together as that parent reaches their goal. Uh, and then the resource friend, that is someone who is maybe able to provide like goods and services. So maybe that host family or that parent in crisis could benefit from some meals, sometimes freezer meals, like just using the example of that mom that's hospitalized for a couple of days, maybe she could benefit having a meal dropped off at her house. So that could be one way, um, providing gift cards maybe to a host family or maybe even to that parent in crisis or maybe diapers to that parent in crisis. So that's how the resource friend can provide more of those goods and services and not necessarily have that burden, if you will, just to be able to host a child because that may not be their wheelhouse. Excellent. So tell me, why this versus foster care? So as I was saying, the purpose of Safe Families is relationship. So we really want to step in and build relationships. And um, because there's a lot of situations where foster care doesn't necessarily need to happen, and a lot of times foster care has to happen because there's no other strong safety net around to be able to provide support. So we actually do get referrals from both sides, DCFS in Illinois and um, HHS is now what it's called in Iowa, uh, for some situations where they may recognize that they don't necessarily need to take protective custody. They're not to that point. So can safe families provide that for them? Um, and then the research that Safe Families has done for the last 20 years and different evidence-based studies that have been done, our return rate is actually 95%. Um, foster care typically is about 50%. So if you look at the return rate of how kiddos are being returned back quickly to their parents, we actually have a much higher rate of doing that because we don't have court involvement. Um, so that's the beauty of that too. Uh, now, like I said, we do have those situations where the state is involved, and so we will work together with them if there is some court, but it really depends on what that level looks like. So I think another question that folks have is that safety net, right? We know foster families are trained and, and are part of the system and, and what have you. So what does that look like so that the families who are dropping off their kiddos are understanding your processes and how similar it actually is? Yeah, so um, like you said, we partner with churches who then help us recruit the volunteers. And so part of the approval process is there is an application process. We also do uh, background checks, which includes fingerprints, which is a federal um, clearance that we do. Uh, we also have our training that we have them go through is about three to four hours of our training. And then um, we also will have them do a home, a home assessment. So we actually will go in and do a complete interview with um, it's usually a husband and wife that are serving alongside each other. So we're doing a thorough assessment, asking all the questions to make sure that they understand why they're stepping into this and the reason for this, and also doing a home safety check as well. Um, and going on the references, um, because we are faith-based and we recruit with the churches, one of our key references that we really look into is, if is there a pastoral reference or another strong community member within that host family that can speak into them? Because we want to make sure that our host families are not serving in isolation because we have our families in crisis that are in isolation. We want to make sure that that host family is connected as well so they can feel supported um, as well. So goes back to sustainability. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that model is much more sustainable for everybody involved. Right. And I'm going to pull in a, a, a 
piece of our story as well is the the give back that happens within your own community. Um, we were not a part of the children's families after they have left us. But for one example, the young man uh, worked on his Eagle Scout, and my son ended up working on his Eagle Scout, and they were able to connect at camp afterwards. And the and the uh, kiddo was able to give back to Eamon, our son, right, in that story for himself. And, and he's the one who recognized our son and said, hey, do you remember when? And, and look what we can do now together. And, and that gave them... Uh, a connection mm-hmm. past the experience they had in our own home, which was really lovely. Yeah, we don't know either, too. I mean, even, even if we do everything perfect and we want to have that connection, we don't know 20 years from now what that impact is going to have on that parent or even that child. Right. Or So whatever touch points we have, whether we see it now or we see it later, it's just it's still the beautiful part of it is we just don't know how we're impacting the lives of other people. For sure. And that support in that time frame, uh, for our sake, for two of the families, we did not have a lot of contact with the family. It was a, an emergent situation where they had to go in for care for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it was short term. And and um we were able to give them updates. Uh, one was an infant, so we would text message a, a picture of when they were mm-hmm. getting a bath or something of that nature to uh, allow them to be a part of their kids' lives over that uh, short time frame, right? Yeah. Um, and and they were able to choose as well the involvement they wanted us. Mm-hmm. They needed that support at that time in this way, but they had to work on themselves to be able to be healed, to continue caring for their child. And we were able to give that to them, which was very special. Yeah, and that's one thing that we um, also really try to monitor. So when that family is reaching out, um, we do a full intake with that parent just to make sure that what the support that they're asking for is the right fit for what safe families can offer. And there are some situations where we just recognize, you know, this is not the right support. And so we are able then to resource them elsewhere. Um, And then part of that uh, whole process is adhering, asking that parent to adhere to our guidelines. So we do have guidelines that we need them to follow because remembering they're asking the organization safe families for help and our volunteers you know, out of the goodness of their heart, not being paid to do this. So we want to make sure that that parent is really on that path of working towards those goals. And sometimes they partially achieve them. Sometimes they're not. And it really, there's a lot of factors that play into that. So we are monitoring as staff and volunteers, you know, is this the right fit for us to going forward? Do we need to pull back? You know, what does that look like? So those are all things on the back end that we're trying to make sure to. Which is extremely important because it also gives the family who's hosting that stop point as well. Like this is what I can give, right? Mm -hmm. And I can call you or your coordinators and say, okay, can we have a conversation? Because this is where we we need to move forward towards, which we did on our last case that we we shared. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love to tell this story as well in that that individual, when when he left us, he and I made a pact because I was working on my doctorate and he was working on his high school degree. And it was a question on whether he would finish or not. And so I uh, made a deal with him. I said, you're supposed to graduate at the same time I'm supposed to graduate. Uh, And I love the fact, because this does not always happen. This is where you know you made an impact. Mm -hmm. He actually called. He didn't text me. He called when he finished his GED. So that tells you a ton of the impact that you had on that individual. That's so awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Indeed. that's really great. 
What other questions do you guys tend to get from either the family side or the volunteer Mm -hmm. side that you think is an important part of this picture for folks? Yeah, I think on the volunteer side, there's sometimes a lot of angst um, because they are unsure like safety wise, you know, and they don't know these families or these children. And so I get a lot from the husbands. Usually the wives are like, Oh honey, let's do this. You know, we're, we got to save the children if you will. And that we don't like to use that term, but that's just sometimes like where their mindset is. And so, um, as part of the volunteer, once you've gone through the price process, um, we are covered, you are covered by our liability hosting insurance. So as an organization, we provide that for volunteers. Um, volunteers are also not responsible for any medical that would occur. So we have all of the, the structure and the paperwork in place. So when that parent is allowing a volunteer to care for their child, there is a parental consent for medical. So that volunteer is protected and has a paper that they can take with them to be able to get those medical needs addressed. So that's a uh, one thing that uh, initial volunteers get very fearful of. We also don't give out a last name of the volunteer or an address just out the gate. Um, just because, again, we don't know, we get very limited amount of information because our intakes, our emergencies happen so quick. Uh, so, But it's encouraged that if that relationship continues, we want that volunteer to be able to build that relationship and then for them to eventually to, to give that out. Um, but I say that in carefully because we also want to have empathy and understanding for that parent in crisis who is asking for help and we're telling them, no, I'm sorry, I can't give you a last name or an address. So putting ourselves in their shoes, we're asking them to do a huge thing, Correct. trusting us yes. as volunteers in an organization to place our child with a stranger so I guess as a volunteer, we're nervous about our safety, but think about the parent. So that's kind of the, I try to frame it both ways, like, you know, kind of like look at both ways. And that does seem to help with that frame of mind to be able to help both places. I think that's really extremely important because as a parent to ask a stranger to take that step, right? Mm-hmm. And me not know you at all. That's a huge step for an individual, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's... Um, that you can tell that they're in a crisis, mm-hmm. but they also want what's best for their child. Yep, I think that's sure. the that's the beauty of it is they're not waiting until their crisis is so bad that DHS has to come in. Right. They're asking for that assistance long, sometimes not as long as we would like ahead yeah. of time, right? Yeah. But they're at least asking for that assistance. And then the organization looks at like looks at it and makes sure that they can support that individual as best as we possibly can looking at everybody's situation. Right. Yeah. I think that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts that you want to share? Um, I was just thinking, you know, when you were talking, you know, when you first reached out about just how it affects the health, you know, in our community and just looking through some of our recent, um, documents I've had to kind of put together. And I just wanted just to express like how safe families, how we're advancing the health in the community in the Quad Cities. And that's because uh, healthy relationships contribute to physical health and well-being for our children and parents. So that's a one thing that we really like to emphasize too is as we look at the health mentally, emotionally, how is safe families benefiting and providing that hope and that ability for those families to stay healthy and relationships we know need to stay healthy because you know then that causes a whole bunch of other issues yes. you know that we run into so we yeah that that's person centeredness yeah 
at its height, right? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. the community engaging in their community needs? Yeah. And who more important than our kiddos? Yep. Right? For sure. And so I, I find that uh, a, a great piece. Who can refer? Let's go there. Yeah. So we are um, partnering or collaborating, I guess would be a better word, with multiple organizations. So um, these organizations can be, for example, I use Genesis East as an example, but hospitals, police departments, our, our shelters, domestic violence shelters, or um, our, any of our homeless shelters, uh, any of our schools, our daycare centers, uh, any other family support services that may be providing um, maybe some post like prenatal or postnatal care that are in the homes supporting these families. So they can refer a parent, a parent can refer themselves. So maybe uh, another agency they're working with, you know, they've had that conversation, but they're just not ready to make that phone call. They can leave that phone number and that parent can call. But we're also going to ask the questions, you know, are you working with any other organizations? Because as I said earlier, we want to make sure that that parent is receiving all the necessary supports. And we're working together as a team to achieve them to that um, healthier spot. Yep. In our instances, one of them was referred um, by the hospital. One was referred by a scout leader who knew about safe families. And the third one was a school counselor. Okay. So wide range range. of of opportunities there, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And um, how do we get a hold of you, if mm-hmm. whether I'm one of those organizations mm-hmm. or a family member? Because I think it's also important yeah. that they understand that they can self-refer as well. Yeah, for sure. So a couple of different ways. Um, our website does have an online form. Um, we have a, a Quad Cities, like a local chapter page, but then we have our main page too. Um, it's safe-families.org. And there is a drop down where you can click on an online form to get help. You'll fill in a form and then it automatically comes to the chapter. Um, you can call us. Our number is 563-949-9803. And we can talk through situations. Not every situation is black and white. And so we always tell parents or referral partners, if you're not sure about a situation, still just call and ask uh, because we just can't be black and white and everything because there's always more to the story. So even though it may seem like, oh, you know, they're not going to be able to help with that, but we might be able to. So we always just say just a call just in case. Um, and you can always email us, quadcities at safefamilies.net, uh, and we can also get back to you as quickly as possible. So there's two of, there's actually a total of three of us on staff. Uh, Sydney Williams, she is our uh, intake coordinator, family coach. So she does most of our uh, intakes and meeting with the families. She's also out in the community, um, just building up more relationships and letting our referral partners know we're there. And then Alyssa, um, she is in Muscatine, um, but she is, we just brought her on an additional 20 hours a week, which we're so thankful to have her so she can help as well. Um, just do some more base building and she's our family coach community engagement. So she's kind of got her hands in a lot of different spots too. So we're a small team, but mighty and, um, continuing just to let people know that we're here. Excellent. So that's for the Quad Cities. I mm-hmm. want to remind folks that we that is a national organization yes. or international organization, yes. my apologies, and why you can go to Safe Families um, website mm-hmm. and you can actually search where the ch- local chapters are. There are three in Iowa. There are quite a few in Illinois mm-hmm. um, and, and again across uh, the states and beyond. So yeah. feel free if you feel like you need these services and you're beyond the Quad Cities to, to look for your ch- local chapter. Yeah. Or, sure. you, or you want to volunteer. Yeah, and if you want to volunteer, there's a, um, if you go to our website too, there's a drop down and there's a different roles that you can apply on. And then because um, we are 
our national headquarters, and we're all kind of like based kind of there, um, there's a drop down for every single chapter. So if you're not even sure, for example, if you're not even sure like your location on where that chapter would be, even if it goes to the wrong chapter, if you will, we all work together so it will get to the right place. So we're all one big team, even though we're kind of spread out throughout. Right. And I think for from a volunteer standpoint, just going through the training and learning more about it gave us the space of can we do this um, and when can we do this? Because I think that's another important piece for volunteers to understand is you you can get a phone call and, and say no, that right now yeah. is not the right time, uh, but already be trained and ready for when it is the right time. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up to another concern that volunteers have stepping into it. So what we do is once you're approved, we put you on our mass email and mass text list. So as we get the needs that come in, that goes out to all of our volunteers. And that's in all the different counties that we currently have volunteers in. So it'll just have a brief description of the situation. So for example, it could be a four-year-old homeless living in Davenport. There is no daycare. So if that's a situation where you're like, yeah, we could step into that, you would just contact us and then we would make the necessary arrangements. Uh, some of our outlying areas are, you know, we have got some stay-at-home moms are like, yeah, I don't mind driving in 35 minutes to get a kiddo. Um, and so that's kind of the beauty of that. But there's not this pressure of, oh my goodness, I signed up for this. I'm going to get a call at two in the morning. We don't even answer the phone at two in the morning, to be honest. <laughs> but it, I think that takes off some of that pressure. And then we're also really want to make sure that we have a start date and an end date. Um, that kind of makes people nervous uh, just because maybe a previous experiences from other things, they don't want to be stuck with a child for two years. So again, what you said, Anne, is just the, um, you have the ability to say, this is my limit. This is what I can do. And then as long as everyone's in communication, we can make it work. Indeed. I think a great example of that is a, a, another volunteer that we both know and love. Um, she has been in situations where I've watched her kiddo that she is watching when she has needed to do something else, right? Uh, so that we supported each other in, yeah. in some of those needs. So it's a great way to network in, in again, supporting a, a, a fantastic need uh, a fantastic way, I should say, of supporting the needs in our community. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And I can put one more plug in. Yeah. So of we have a gala coming up oh, on October 2nd. So would love to have as many people come. Um, registration um, ends actually September 25th. We are able to extend it to get your meal. It's free to attend. It's going to be at the Holiday Inn in Rock Island. So would love for people just to share that and spread with your friends just to come see what we're about and what we're doing. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for joining us Thank today. So I appreciate it. Me. Of course. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. It is produced by Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.